things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And without him, not all things were made. Um, let me see here, son. I have, I think. Hmm. Which one of you is it? <laughs> uh, shit. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm obviously a little bit disjointed today. Uh, I'm getting through it. Uh, let me find. Um, I want to show you guys if you haven't, if you're not on my Facebook, and maybe you missed it. Um, what you think? Anything wants to work right now? Um, let me see here. Where is that? Anyways, for those of you that aren't aware. Um, challenged my son to see if he could join the Marine Corps and he um, gave it his best effort plus some uh, and probably ruined his body just like I did for the rest of his life um, and in my opinion made it through long enough to become an honorary Marine in my opinion um, my son uh, made his family proud um, after seven months, six months of boot camp. So I can't even remember how long it was. It probably felt like a lifetime to him. Um, he uh, was going through the crucible and blew his knee out and they gave him a chance, getting ready to go through the crucible and uh, last, last uh, training exercise before he gets his Eagle globe and anchor. And, uh, you know, he, his mind is something special and, uh, you know, he, he would definitely be an asset to the Marine Corps and uh, to the country. Um, you know, so uh, on that front, um, all the other problems aside um, that he's going to have to live with for his life, um, he uh, <laughs> he really did. He really um, proved himself, in my opinion, um, you know, trying to get through boot camp. Um, and, uh, you know, they changed it a lot and made it quite a bit more, I think, uh, taxing on the body, which kind of wears out, which kind of sets aside those that can't really handle the physical requirements required by the Marine Corps, uh, which to me actually kind of makes sense to make it a little more specialized in who, 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 who earns the title. Um, <laughs> You know, and that, and of course, you're gonna have some that get left aside because of that. Um, you think you think I can find a video when I need it on Facebook? You think I can find anything on Facebook when I need it? I freaking hate Facebook, dude. Uh, how do I just go to my videos? I don't, I don't, I don't spend any freaking time on this freaking platform. I hate it. <laughs> uh, um. We're going to check in with President Trump here in just a minute. I want to watch the whole speech from Palestine. <laughs> um, East Palestine. Uh, so I want to watch that whole thing with you guys here. So if, you have, if you've already seen that, uh, that's in the plans here just to, in a second. If I could be a little more organized at what I wanted to do today. I got a bunch of shout-outs I want to give to a bunch of great patriots who uh, 
are helping to lift me up and keep me afloat under a very, very, very difficult time of my life. Um, but um, after um, after the core, because um, of <laughs> of a story that's uh, hard to tell, um, maybe some of the people at MCRD listening to the show back in the day, or a certain channel back in the day, Patriot Soapbox. Um, you know, they got to listen to me while he was in boot camp <laughs> from MCRD. At least that's the way that I understood it. Uh, I mean, I could be wrong on that, but that's the way I understood it. Uh, after a taxing many months, uh, he was released on a medical discharge because of uh, he just couldn't do it. Uh, and this is the this was his homecoming. Um, the day he got home. Life may not be easy And everything that I need You've already given me I remember how you told me I can trust you completely So why am I doubting When you prove that you'd fight
changed by your mercy Covered by your peace I'm living out the victory Doesn't mean I won't feel the heat You've walked me through Lord, how could I question when you prove that you die for me? You've walked me through texted and she said her mom wears pink pink and more pink she Oh, Jane, I love you. Much love. Um, so apparently there's still more truths to be told, uh, for me, um, so I'm, <laughs> I'm almost there, uh, but, um, you know, it's just, uh, 
all of you guys that have been lifting me up, man. Um, all of your prayers. You literally... Um, I can't even focus. Someone, Joel, someone else, Ophelia, Bella, Jarhead, JG, Qnu, someone else, some other anonymous mouse, someone else, another anon, TS, another anon, Sly Park, someone else, Another Anon, another Anon, Polly, Daddy Crab, Chris, my brothers and sisters, you know who you are. Karen and Jay. <sighs> Little known dude named Ken. iPod, thank you for the hat tip. God bless your brother. iPod's still out there. Diane paid my water bill. <sighs> Keep true. Um, Son of peace offering. Brian Cates to help lift me up. Keep talking about him all you want. Thank you, Steve. Uh, my brother David and the meme team, Kelly, Cheryl, I know you trust the Father. He always blesses me and demands that I share his blessing. Keep up the work. I will, Dark Brain. Virginia.
My brother Tron. JG. Victoria. Nicole. Nicole. My brother Alfred. Daisy Chains, Sis, Christy, Maggie, Jay, from the beginning you've been there, yes you have Sly Park, Shelby, broke, barely has any money, just keep sending me five bucks here and there. Melody, God bless you. Tiffany, Melody, Catherine and Greg, all the Patreons who are still there. In the hundreds and thousands of prayers,
Well, welcome to the show. Amen. Amen, Jane. <sighs> I'm all right. <laughs> With your help. Thank you. Thank you all. May God's most amazing blessings be upon you. I hope that God blesses you as he has me. Um, to President Trump. my brother I don't even know what to say <sighs> where did I put it not working on all cylinders today guys sorry Sixteen and a half from President Trump and much more. God bless you all. Well, thank you very much, everybody. It's an honor to be here. It's an incredible place and some incredible supporters and Thank you very much, everybody. It's an honor to be here. It's an incredible place, and some incredible supporters and people that have worked with us for a long time, and uh, we've been here for them. And uh, even a few days ago, we had some of our top people come up, and it's an honor. And we're here today in East Palestine to show our love and support for our fellow Americans and this hour of need, and that's what it is. It was an hour of a need, but they've done some incredible work in a very short period of time, and they're getting a lot of credit for it, and they have to be getting credit. We tell you that when they do good, and we tell you when people do bad. 
your chief and your police and your uh, mayor and everybody else, they've done incredibly. And Bill, J.D.'s been here for four days. I've been watching him every day. J.D. Vance has been incredible. To the people of East Palestine and to the nearby communities in Ohio and Pennsylvania, uh, we have told you loud and clear, you are not forgotten. You are not forgotten. We stand with you, we pray for you, and we will stay with you in your fight to help answer and the accountability that you deserve. We'll have that accountability. It'll all be out there very clearly. I want to thank Senator J.D. Vance for being here. I want to thank Congressman Bill Johnson, very special friends of mine. They became really very good friends of mine. I also want to recognize a man who has been working tirelessly for this community since the beginning of the nightmare. And uh, Trent, where is Trent? He's very easy to find. Huh? He's very easy to find. I want to thank you. Thank you very much. I'll tell you up in a second. Thank you. Your mayor, in addition, let me express our tremendous respect and admiration for all of the police and firefighters and first responders. And all over the country, there's such heroes, but this was a great example of it because that was a very dangerous-looking sight. So I want to thank you all. Thank you very much. Thank you. Nineteen days ago, tragedy struck this wonderful village and rocked the lives of people throughout this area, long beyond this area. It's been weeks since Americans have been inspired. They've just watched this over the weeks. They've been inspired by your strength and your courage and how you've come together to stand up for the families in your area and the fa families of this village and beyond. We've seen the first responders and railroad workers serving bravely in the line of duty. The railroad road workers have been really incredible, actually, and they've gone way above the call of duty. We've seen citizens speaking up at the town halls, and we've seen organizations such as the East Palestine Community Foundation rising to the occasion to provide tremendous relief and help to the people that were so badly affected. So I want to thank you all. Fantastic job. Really great. Everybody's been watching. We've all been watching on television and beyond television. We've been getting our news from the real news and from the fake news. And uh, the fake news we even believed in this case because they've covered it very fairly. Over the past few weeks, the community has shown the tough and resilient heart of America, and that's what it is. This is really America right here. We're standing in America. Unfortunately, as you know, in too many cases, your goodness and perseverance were met with indifference and betrayal in some cases. Uh, Biden and FEMA said they would not send federal aid to East Palestine under any circumstance. They're not going to send aid. I thought that was a strange statement because I've been working with FEMA for a long time, four years, and they were great with us with the tornadoes, the hurricanes, and things like this. And it was a strange statement to come out. And they were doing nothing for you. They were intending to do absolutely nothing for you. J.D. and I spoke, and they said, they're not coming. They're not going to come. And I said, that's very strange. FEMA said, uh, specifically, this doesn't meet the criteria. And uh, that's horrible, and somebody has to do something for those people, I said back. When I announced that I was coming, they changed their tune. It was an amazing phenomena. The mayor and I were discussing that. It was quite amazing what happened. And they said uh, that we can't let this happen. That was a big change of face. J.D., did you ever see a change like that one? That was a quick, rapid change. But we can't let this happen, they said, and we'll be there. 
And we opened up the dam, and we got them to move. And they all came in, and they're now pouring you in with help. And I, I will tell you, I had a great, uh, a great relationship with FEMA. I found FEMA to be incredible, amazing in every way. And we had tremendous luck with the tornadoes and all of the hurricanes and everything else that we had. And they were fantastic. And now they're fantastic here. They could have been a few, two weeks earlier, or at least a week earlier, but uh, they decided to do it this way, and I guess it came from the top. And so we have to understand that. You know, it reminds me a little bit, I don't know if you remember, when Ohio State was going to be playing football for another season, they were going to sit back and uh, watch with the China virus or COVID, whatever you want to call it. And uh, I called the head of the Big Ten, Big Ten football. I said, you got to get this football open. And they were great. They responded, and Ohio State played that season. Nobody remembers that, I think, right? Does anybody know? You got at least one. At least one. You could have been close, but by now, you still would be close, probably. But we got that open very early, and uh, you had a great season of football, to put it mildly. So that was a very great honor, the Big Ten. And that led to the NFL, and it led to most of the rest of football in the country. But you led it through Ohio State and Big Ten. And we got that done. I, I did that very personally. I called the commissioner, and he did a good job. What this community needs now are not excuses and uh, all of the other things you've been hearing, but answers and results, and that's what I think you're going to say. See, uh, Norfolk Southern needs to fulfill its responsibilities and obligations. And I see that they're starting to come here now, too, because they also were saying they're not coming. But it means that the affected communities beyond the borders of East Palestine are uh, going to be taken care of. And they've said so, and they've said it loud and clear, and I think they probably mean it. I sincerely hope that when your representatives and all of the politicians get here, including Biden, they get back from touring Ukraine, that he's got some money left over, because we're now at $117 billion, and as you probably know, Europe, when you add it all up, is at about $10 billion. That's a big difference, wouldn't you say? That's one of the things that gets me, because they're at it again. They're very good negotiators, those people in Europe. You know, when you add it all up, it's about the same size as the United States, the economy of the different European countries, and they're at a very small number compared to us. So you'll start working on that, I guess, when you get back. I think J.D. will have that well under. He's listened. He heard that number, but it's a massive difference. It's a very small fraction of what we put up. And it affects them more than us, and they have to do what they have to do. But we're going to find time uh, to come back if necessary. If they don't come back and give you the treatment that you need, we will be back. Uh, the Biden administration should ensure that every family has the option of moving and homes and everything else until this thing is straightened out. Uh, I do want to uh, especially thank some of the incredible people that uh, helped us, because we're bringing thousands of bottles of water, Trump water, actually, most of it. Uh, some of it, we had to go to a much lesser quality water. <laughs> you want to get those Trump bottles, I think, more than anybody else. But we're bringing a lot of water, thousands of bottles, and we have it in trucks, and we brought some on my plane today. But to that end, I'm pleased to announce that we've helped coordinate the delivery of the water and bottled water, as uh, well as the tractor trailers full of it. We have big tractor trailers full of water. I think you're going to have plenty of water for a long time, maybe. And I want to thank those of uh, 
you that helped uh, John Rourke, who's fantastic, Blue Line Moving. Uh, is John here? Uh, hello, John. Good job. Got a lot of trucks coming up with water, right? That's true. You're a fantastic guy. Friend of my son, Don, who's also here. Where's Don? Good job. Did you get him to do that? I think so, huh? He does it on his own. Yeah, he does. He's, he's fantastic. He helps. Thank you very much, John. Appreciate it. Uh, two Fellas Moving Company, and I want to thank the people within the Trump Organization that helped us with all of the water. We got it from all of our different hotels, all of our different places, and it was great. They really came together. Also, I want to thank Sandy Pensler and his son, Jonathan Pensler, from Cortex in Michigan for donating thousands of gallons of cleaning supplies. Thousands and thousands of gallons. Where are you guys? Where are they? Are they here? They're too busy putting it on the truck. But, but he gave Cortex. If anybody knows the company, it's a very good company, big company, and they're, they're giving tremendous amounts of cleaning supplies, which is what you're going to need. And again, I want to thank Senator Vance, and I want to ask uh, J.D. to come up and say a few words, and then Mayor Conaway and uh, Marty Grimm will come up and finish it off. Thank you all very much for being here. It's a great honor. It's an honor to help, and you're well on your way. And that was a tragedy, uh, close to an unbelievable tragedy. Could have been really bad, and uh, thank goodness that didn't happen. But you're going to have tremendous help now, and I know FEMA will do the job like nobody can do it like them. Thank you all very much. Thank you. Well, first, President Trump, thanks so much for coming and shining a light on this community. I think the most important thing that we can take from this visit uh, is that we can't forget about the people of East Palestine because there will be a rebuilding effort. We need to finish the cleanup effort. That's the most important thing. But most of all, we need to make sure that over the next six months, over the next year, over the next two years, that we don't forget the people of East Palestine who have been affected by this tragedy. You coming up here ensures that we do exactly that. So thank you, sir. It's great to have you. Don, it's great to have you. Um, I, I just want to say that, you know, I, I'm from Southern Ohio, and I've got to know this community very well over the last couple of weeks. It's such an honor to be here, and it's such an honor to get to know so many great people. Uh, the mayor, the fire chief have done such an incredible job. Senator Rooley, everybody has come together, uh, Congressman Johnson, to make sure that East Palestine is at the top of everybody's priorities. So thank you for having me. Thank you for letting me play some small role in making sure this community survives and thrives. God bless you all. I love you. We as a community would like to thank uh, President Trump for coming up here, shedding some light on the situation we are currently in. Uh, I also have to thank all the elected officials, uh, all the firemen. Um, the, fi the firemen saved this city. Uh, if it wasn't from them, that might sound like rhetoric, but it really is not. Uh, this could have been a very different situation if we wouldn't have such quality firemen behind us. Uh, We're a small community. We don't want the media attention. We just, you know, we want our community to go back to the way it was. That is our end goal. Um, so, we, you know, we appreciate you being here, but at some point we'd ask you to leave. <laughs> uh, but yes, I, I, you know, I thank everybody uh, who has helped us through this tragic situation. It's been a very difficult situation, but uh, together uh, we will make EP strong again. So thank you all. Well, thanks everybody for coming out. And as I've said from the outset here, uh, this is 
the kind of tragedy that should never uh, come on a rural community like this. It's uh, extremely unfortunate, uh, but I have stood and watched and participated as this community has come together. I'm convinced that recovery is, is on the way. I believe this community is not only going to recover, but they're going to be stronger than they were when they started. And it's because of the people here. It's because of the mayor. It's because of the, the fire chief. It's because of the determination and perseverance of the people right here in East Palestine. So uh, thank you, Mr. President, for coming and continuing to put focus on this. Thank God bless you. you. Thank you, President Trump, for coming to our village today and drawing attention to this disaster recovery. My name is Marty Grimm, and I serve as president of the East Palestine Community Foundation. I am here today to speak on how to best financially assist our community and surrounding area. Elaine Beck is the founder of the nonprofit Blessing Through Action and calls Ohio her home. She herself was raised here and raised her family in this great state. Elaine felt compelled to help her fellow Ohioans in their desperate time of need. Blessing Through Action has partnered with the East Palestine Community Foundation and local churches to bring financial assistance to this community. Blessings Through Action takes no profits or costs from these donations, so every dollar will go to help the residents of East Palestine and the affected neighboring communities. If this was not enough, Elaine took her love and compassion for her home state to another level and has offered a $100,000 matching donation for the next 24 hours. If you too would like to be a part of this recovery and help rebuild this community we love, please text the word OHIO, O-H-I-O, to the number 88022 for more information. That's text the word Ohio to the number 88022. Thank you very much. All right. Uh, why not? First of all, President Trump, thank you, thank you um, for bringing this attention, uh, getting the necessary resources here we need. Uh, I can't thank not only my guys, my men and women, who did such an amazing job, but also the neighboring departments that came in to help us, uh, Pennsylvania, multiple counties in Ohio, uh, one resource out of West Virginia. Um, together, we worked as a unified team to make this uh, to, to get this situation under control where we are, and I can't thank those first responders enough. Uh, Columbiana County EMA was a crucial resource to us. Um, Peggy Clark and Brian Rutledge, uh, absolutely phenomenal people. I can't thank them enough for their help throughout this. Thank you, thank you very much. That is interesting, no tie. Um, what is this? You see, can you see this up here? Making house calls since 1881. 
Can you guys see that up there? There you go. Uh, East Palestine Fire Department making house calls since 1881. Gotcha, gotcha. Interesting. Huh. You know, there's there's something else interesting about 1881. <laughs> I don't know if this... <laughs> means anything but i i didn't i didn't realize that i could only see the making house calls since 1881 you know on the back screen obviously probably a reference to the fire department of east palestine would be occam's razor but also <laughs> the 47th united states congress was meeting of the legislative branch of the united states federal government consisting of the united states senate and the house of representatives it met in Washington, D.C. from March 4th, 1881 until March 4th, 1883 during six months of James Garfield's presidency and the first year and a half of Chester Arthur's presidency. The uh, apportionment of House seats in the House of Representatives was based on the 1870 United States Census. Chet... What do we know about the United States Census of 2020 and how it was not correctly applied as per correct voting federal standards? The House had a Republican majority and the Senate was evenly divided for the first time ever with no vice president to break ties for most of the term. Has has Kamala ever voted on a bill? I don't know the answer to that. I'm just asking a question. The count below shows uh, the party indications and affiliations in the House and the Senate. Senate, the president, Chester A. Arthur, until September 19th, 1881, and was vacant after. Therefore, the president pro tempore Thomas F. Bernard was the Senate president from October 10th, 1881 to October 13th, 1881 for three days as the transition to new power happened. Hmm. Major events of 1881. In March 4th of 1881, James Garfield became president of the United States of America. And then on September 19th, President Garfield died. Vice President Chester A. Arthur became the President of the United States. February 25th, 1882, the apportionment of the 10th Census. May 6th, 1882, the Chinese Exclusion Act. August 2nd, 1882, the Passenger Act of 1882. August 2nd, 1882, Rivers and Harbors Act. January 6th, 1883, the Pendleton Civil Service Reform Act. And then... March 3rd, 1883, the Tariff of 1883, the Mongrel Tariff. Kind of interesting. The 10th Census of 1880, conducted by the Census Bureau during June 1880, was the 10th United States Census. It was the first time that women were permitted to be enumerators. The superintendent of the census was Francis Amasa Walker, this was the first census in, a, in which a city, New York City, recorded a population of over 1 million people. Hmm. 
Isn't that interesting? Uh, five schedules were authorized by the 1880 Census Act, four of which were filled out by the enumerators. The first was the population, similar to the previous uh, census with few exceptions. The second was morality, same as inquiries as in the 1870, and added inquiries to record marital status, birthplace of parents, length of residence in the United States or territory, and name of place where disease was contracted. If other than the place of death. Huh. Schedule 3, agriculture, which greatly expanded inquiries concerning various crops, including acreage for principal crop, and included questions from farm tenure, weeks of hired height labor, annual costs for fence building and repair and fertilizer purchases, and the number of livestock. Schedule 5, manufacturing. Again, four of the five were filled out by, by enumerators which expanded to include information on the greatest number of hands employed at any time during the year, the number of hours in the ordinary workday from May to November and November to May, average daily wages paid to skilled mechanics and laborers, months in full and part-time operation, and machinery used. The Schedule 4, which was not used, so those th- those four were used, the uh, 1, th- 2, 3, and 5. Schedule 4 was Social st- Statistics, was the responsibility of my experts and special agents rather than the enumerators. The majority of the data came from correspondence with officials of institutions providing care and treatment of certain members of the population. Experts and special agents also were employed to collect data on valuation, taxation and indebtedness, religion and libraries, colleges, academies, academies, and Schools, newspapers, and periodicals and wages. Special agents were also in charge of collecting data on specific industries throughout the country and included the manufacturing of iron and steel, cotton, woolen, and worsted goods, silk and silk goods, chemical products and salt, coke and glass, shipbuilding, and all aspects of fisheries and mining, including the production of coal and petroleum. Interesting. Full documentation of the 1880 population census, including census forms and enumerator instructions, is available at... Integrated Public Use Microdata Series, which contains the microdata. Interesting. Hmm. PUMS, P-U-M-S. Integrated Public Use Microdata Series. Um, Using the population survey since uh, 1962... IPUMS includes all persons enumerated in the United States censuses from 1850 through 2020. Well, well, well. Isn't that interesting? Huh. Very interesting, really. The Journal of American History described the effort as one of the greatest archival projects of the past two decades. The French portal for social scientists gave IPUMS the only best site designation that has gone to any non-French website, writing IPUMS est un project absolument extraordinaire. Mind-blowing. The official motto of IPUMS is use it for good, never for evil. All IPUMS data and documentation are available online free of charge. IPUMS, IPUMS. 
interesting nonetheless, is it not? Uh, let's see here. What do I have? What do I have? Um, okay. So that was the COVID one. Uh, let's see. Jack had something interesting today. Jack usually has something interesting every day. Um, where's the one? This is the one I'm looking for. Uh, junior. Thank you. God bless you. You've been, uh, You've been something special in the lives of many, Junior. Never forget that. What's going on, guys? Uh, I guess since Pete Buttigieg, Joe Biden, the Democrat Party, and basically most of Washington, D.C. refuses to do their actual job, uh, someone's got to step up and actually fill that void. So we are now boarded. uh, Trump Force One waiting for... The big guy, not the 10% big guy, just my big guy. And we're going to go to East Palestine. Oh, the big guy, not the 10% big guy. One waiting for the big guy, not the 10% big guy, just my big guy. And we're going to go to East Palestine, Ohio. Uh, we're going to meet with the people there. It seems like just Donald Trump actually announcing that he was going to go there um, in and of itself uh, got finally FEMA to act after they said they weren't going to do anything after they said, well, you know, it's not really our thing. Of course, it's never their thing, right? Uh, guess what? Ukraine's not our thing either. And yet we're there giving them trillions. Okay. So don't forget that. But at least it seems we pushed people to actually act for a change, to actually do their damn jobs. Uh, and that's awesome. So we're going to be heading over there, speaking to the people, hopefully force Uh, the people in government to finally act because if our leaders refuse to step up, someone's got to step up and actually fill that void and lead. So I'm glad my father's that guy. Uh, It's going to be exciting. Looking forward to seeing uh, what's going on. And again, looking forward just to being part of, you know, forcing people into action. You saw Pete Buttigieg down. Well, I wish people would have known how strongly I felt. Yeah, Pete, you felt so strongly you haven't been there in two weeks since the accident. So strongly. So strongly you were on a walk last night in D.C. Uh, with your husband and it was beautiful and you really hated to be interrupted by a reporter asking you questions about why you're not doing your jam job. That's how strongly you felt. You're full of it. Okay, give me a break. Uh, what losers these people are. They couldn't care less about you. They couldn't give a crap. And if you don't see that yet, folks, you haven't been watching. So while Joe Biden's giving away your taxpayer dollars and billions uh, to Ukraine, uh, Donald Trump's going to step up and fill that void, be out there fighting and supporting the American people. Don't forget that. Welcome to Trump Force One, folks. By the way, you think this was easy to walk away from to go deal with the swamp in D.C.? Another thing we got to remember, Trump had it pretty good, but he did this for you guys. We'll see you later. Four, three, two. Can I get a ones in chat? Can I get an amen for ones in chat? Where's TN Homesteader? Oh. oh, shit. Sorry, Rumble. Apparently, I didn't want to see your chat. There you are. 
Thanks for being here today, guys. Do me a favor, please. Hit that plus button. <laughs> One's in chat for the five, four, three, two, one countdown. <laughs> please let it be true. Because if the... If a major government entity doesn't do their job, then what? Then what? Junior, God bless you, brother. I look forward to uh, that hug. <laughs> Not just a... Uh, not just a hat tip, just a, I could use a hug from you, brother. Love you guys. Uh, thank you all for being here today on a tough show for me. For those of you that know, you know. Um, other than that, uh, que sera, sera. Um, Chef Vet. Holy cow, you've been. You're still out there, Chef Vet? You just drop a diamond and a lemon on me? In D Live, uh, just out of nowhere, just hey, remember me? Yeah, I remember you, brother. Uh, man, I hope um, I hope blessings have come your way. I know you've been through a ringer, Chef Vet. If you're the same one I remember, I'm pretty sure that's you. Been a few years. <laughs> um, Pill crowd, thanks for being here today, guys. Much love to you. Toria, Karen here, and who cares news with the with the gold pills today? 1045 gold pills. Thank you guys very much. God bless you all. Twitch crowd, how you guys doing out there today? Hey, Boulder Q. Uh, too much truth, Boulder Q. Uh, some truths that I needed to hear personally. Uh, very, very hurtful things. Um, so we'll keep those prayers coming. I'm going to, I'm going to freaking need them, man. Jim Jordan today. Haven't been a while since I heard from him. He was on the Ruben report today. Relatively early in president Trump's administration, Mark Meadows and I, this is before Mark was chief of staff. We're in the white house and we're visiting someone in the West wing and, one of the offices, and it may have been Jared's office or somebody's office, but they had a big whiteboard on the wall. And they had listed every single promise President Trump made to the American people in the 2016 campaign. And they were just, I mean, it was packed. Get out of the Iran deal, embassy in Jerusalem, build the wall, uh, get out of the Paris Climate Accords, conservatives on the court, cut taxes, reduce regulation, blah, 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 blah. just, it was packed because he made a lot of important promises. Um, and they were checking them off. Just literally checking them. That's how you're supposed to govern. Yeah. What'd you tell the people you're going to do if they give you the privilege of representing and serving them and leading them? Go do what you said. And no one's done it better. Relatively early in President Trump's administration, Mark Meadows and I, this is before Mark was chief of staff, we're in the White House and we're visiting someone in the West Wing. And one of the offices, and it may have been Jared's office or somebody's office, but they had a big whiteboard on the wall. And they had listed every single promise President Trump made to the American people in the 2016 campaign. And they were just, I mean, it was packed. Get out of the Iran deal, embassy in Jerusalem, build the wall, uh, get out of the Paris Climate Accords, conservatives on the court, cut taxes, reduce regulation, blah, 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 blah. just, it was packed because he made a lot of important promises. Um, and they were checking them off. Just literally checking them. 
that's how you're supposed to govern. Yeah. What do you tell the people you're going to do if they give you the privilege of representing and serving them and leading them? Go do what you said. And no one's done it better. Relatively early in President Trump's administration. Do hashtag do your job. Jim Jordan, God bless you, brother. Uh, let me save that one. Where's my other? Um, we're going to check in with President Trump's truth here in just a moment. I've been putting this off for way too long. Archbishop Vaganio. Uh, with a message last week that I've been trying to fit into the show. And for some reason, I keep bumping him. For four days, I've been bumping Archbishop Vaganio. Remind me in the future... If the Archbishop speaks to, uh, yeah, put him at the front of the list. My apologies, Archbishop. It's been a while. Praise be our Lord Jesus Christ. In a recent interesting interview on Fox News titled The Church of Environmentalism, journalist Tucker Carlson has brought to light a contradiction that may have escaped the notice of many people, but which I consider extremely revealing. Carlson recalls that the American Constitution prohibits any state religion, but for some time the governing Democratic Party has imposed on the American people, the globalist cult, with its green agenda, its woke dogmas, its condemnation and cancel culture, its priests of the World Health Organization, the prophets of the World Economic Forum. A religion in all respects, all encompassing not only for the life of the individuals who practice it, but also in the life of the nation that publicly confesses it, adapts law and sentences to it, and inspires education and every governmental action around it. In the name of the globalist religion, its adherents demand that all citizens behave in accordance with the morality of the new world order, accepting uncritically and with an attitude of devout submission to religious authority, the doctrine defined ex cathedra by the Davos Synodin. Citizens are not required merely to share the motivation that justify the health, economic, or social policies imposed by government, but to give their blind and irrational assent, which goes far behind faith. For this reason, it is not allowed to contest the psychopandemic, criticize the management of the vaccination campaign, argue the groundlessness of climate alarms, oppose the evidence of NATO's provocation of the Russian Federation 
with the Ukrainian crisis. Ask for investigation into Hunter Biden's laptop or the electoral fraud that prevented President Trump from remaining in the White House or refused to stand by as children are corrupt with the LGBTQ obscenities. After three years of follies, incomprehensible to a rational mind, but amply justifiable in a perspective of blind fideism, the proposal formulated by the American clinic to ask patients to give up part of their anesthesia so as to reduce their trace of carbon dioxide and save the planet should therefore not be read as a grotesque pretext to reduce hospital expenses to the detriment of patients, but as a religious act, a penance to be accepted willingly, an ethical meritorious act. The penitential character is indispensable in this operation of forced conversion to the masses, of the masses, because it counterbalances the absurdity of the action with the reward of the promised good. Wear the mask, which is useless. Interesting. So he, he um, it's very interesting. Here is how he started the message. Interesting interview on Fox News titled The Church of Environmentalism. Journalist Tucker Carlson has brought to light a contradiction that many have escaped the notice of many people, but which I consider extremely revealing. Carlson recalls the American Constitution prohibits any state religion, but for some time the governing Democrat Party has imposed on the American people the globalist cult. With its green agenda, its woke dogmas, its condemnations and cancel culture, its priests of the World Health Organization, the prophets of the World Economic Forum, a religion in all aspects and all encompassing not only the life of the individuals who practice it, but also in the life of the nation that publicly confesses it, adopts laws and, sentence, and sentences to it, and inspires education and every governmental action around it. In the name of the globalist religion, its adherents, adherents demand that all citizens behave in accordance with the morality of the New World Order, accepting uncritically and with an attitude of devout submission to religious authority, the doctrine defined ex cathedra by the Davos Sahendran. For too long, citizens and faithful have passively suffered the decisions of their political and religious leaders in the face of the evidence of their betrayal. Respect for authority is based on the recognition of a theological fact, that is, of the lordship of Jesus Christ over individuals, nations, and the church. If those in authority in the state and church act as against the citizens and the faithful, their power is usurped and theirs authority null and void. Let us not forget 
that rulers are not the owners of the state and the masters of citizens. Just as the Pope and the bishops are not the owners of the church and the masters of the faithful. If they do not, do not want to be like fathers to us, if they do not want our good and indeed do everything to corrupt us in body and spirit, it is time to drive them out of their positions and call them to account for their betrayal, their crimes, and their scandalous lies. Yeah, let's go ahead and do it. <clears throat> Here's the rest of it. Five pages. It's 15 minutes long, but too many cannot understand them, so I understand. You have to listen very carefully, and you can understand him. The state religion. Some observations on the globalist cult. From Revelations 13, 16 through 17. If forced all the people, small and great, rich and poor, free and share, to be given a stamped image on their right hand or forehead, no one could buy or sell except for those who had the stamped image, that is, the name of the beast or the number that corresponds with to his name. So we got through with an attitude of devout submission to religious authority, the doctrine defined ex cathedra by the Davos Sahandran. Sanhandran. Citizens are not required merely to, sh to share their motivations that justify the health, economic, or social policies imposed by governments. Stand by one. A little bit bigger so you guys can read along if you'd like to. Eh, maybe not that big. All right, here we go. Citizens are not required to merely share the motivations that justify the health, economic, or social policies imposed by governments, but to give their blind and irrational assent, which goes far beyond faith. God bless you, Bella. For this reason, it is not allowed to, to contest the psychopandemic criticize the management of the vaccination campaign, argue the groundlessness of climate alarms, oppose the evidence of NATO's provocation of the Russian revolution of the Russian Federation with the Ukrainian crisis, ask for investigations into Hunter Biden's laptop or electoral fraud that prevented president Trump from remaining in the white house or refuse to stand by as children are corrupted with LGBTQ obscenities. After three years of follies incomprehensible to a rational mind, but amply justifiable in a perspective of blind fitism, the proposal formulated by an American clinic to ask patients to give up part of their anesthesia so as to reduce their trace of carbon dioxide and save the planet should therefore not be read as a grotesque, grotesque pretext to reduce hospital expenses to the detriments of patients, but as a religious act. A, pen, a penance to be accepted willing, willingly, an ethically meritorious act 
The penitential character is indispensable in this operation of forced conversion of the masses because it counterbalances the absurdity of the action with the reward of a promised good wearing the mask, which is useless. The citizen religious adherent has made his own gesture of submission, has offered himself to the divinity, the state, the community. The submission confirmed with the equally public act of vaccination, which represented a sort of baptism in the globalist faith, the initiation into worship. The high priests of this religion have even reached a point of theorizing human sacrifice by a means of abortion and euthanasia, a sacrifice required by the common good so as not to overpopulate the planet, burn public health, or be a burden on social security, even the mutilations to which those who profess gender doctrine are subjected and the deprivation of reproductive faculties induced by homosexuality are nothing more than forms of sacrifice and immolation of oneself, of one's body, of one's health, including life itself, receiving, for example, an experimental gene therapy demonstrably dangerous, and often deadly. Adherence to globalism is not optional. It is the state religion and the state tolerates non-practitioners to the extent that their presence does not prevent society from exercising this cult. Indeed, in its presumption of being legitimized by ethical principles to impose on citizens what represents an incontestable superior good, the state also obliges dissenters to perform the basic acts of globalist morality, punishing them if they do not conform to its precepts. Eating insects, not meat, injecting drugs instead of practicing a healthy life, using electricity instead of gasoline, renouncing private property and the freedom of movement, enduring controls and limitations on fundamental rights, accepting the worst moral and sexual deviations in the name of freedom, renouncing the family to live isolated without inheriting anything from the past and without transmitting anything to posterity, erasing one's identity in the name of political correctness, denying the Christian faith to embrace woke superstition, conditioning one's work and one's substance to respect absurd rules. All these are elements destined to become part of the daily life of the individual, a life based on an ideological model that, on closer inspection, no one wants and no one has asked for. And that justifies its existence only with the boogeyman of an unproven and unprovable ecological apocalypse. This violates not only the much-vaunted freedom of religion on, the, on which this society is founded, but wants to lead us step-by-step, step, inexorably, to the point of making this cult exclusive, the only one allowed. The Church of Environmentalism defines itself as inclusive, but does not tolerate dissent. It does not accept dialectically engaging with those who question its dictates. Those who do not accept the anti-gospel of Davos are ispo facto heretics and must therefore be punished, excommunicated, separated from the social body, and considered public enemies. They must be re-educated by force, both through the incessant hammering of the media and also through the imposition of a social stigma and truly extortive forms of consent. 
starting with the informed consent, quote unquote, of submitting against their will to the vaccination obligation and continuing in the madness of the so-called city of 15 minutes, unquote, which is anticipated moreover in detail in the problematic points of the 2030 agenda, which are ultimately dogmatic canons to the contrary. The problem with this disturbing phenomenon of mass superstition is that this state religion has not been imposed de facto only in the United States of America, but it has also spread to all nations of the Western world whose leaders were converted to the globalist word by the great apostle of the great reset, Klaus Schwab, its self-proclaimed Pope, who is therefore invested with the infallible and incontestable authority as in the normal pontificio, we can read the list of cardinals, bishops, and prelates of Roman curia and dioceses spread throughout the world. So on the website of the World Economic Forum, we find the list of prelates of globalism from Justin Trudeau to Emmanuel Macron discovering that not only the presidents and prime ministers of many states belong to this church, but also numerous officials, heads of international bodies, and major multinational corporations, the members of the media. To these must be also added the quote-unquote preachers and missionaries who work for the spread of this globalist faith, actors and singers and influencers and sportsmen and intellectuals and doctors and teachers a very powerful, highly organized network, widespread not only at the top of institutions, but also in universities and courts in companies and hospitals and peripheral bodies and local municipalities and cultural and sports associations so that it is impossible to escape indoctrination even in a provincial primary school or in a small rural community. It is disconcerting, you must admit, that in the number of converts to the universal religion, we can also count exponents of, world, of the world religions, and among them, even George Mario Berglogio, whom Catholics also consider head of the Church of Rome, with all the cowardness and ecclesiastes faithful to him. The apostasy of the Catholic hierarchy has reached the point of worshiping the idol of Panchamama, the Mother Earth, demonic personification of ecumencial, inclusive, and sustainable Amazonian globalism. But it was not John Podesta himself who advocated the advent of the springtime of the church that would replace its doctrine with a vague environmentalist sentimentality, finding prompt execution of his hopes in the coordinated action that led to the resignation of Benedict XVI and the election of Bergoglio, what we are witnessing is nothing more than the reverse application of the process that led to the spread of Christianity in the Roman Empire and then throughout the world, a sort of revenge of barbarism and paganism on the faith of Christ. What Julian the Apostate tried to do in the 4th century, that is, to restore the cult of pagan gods, today is pursued zealously by new apostates, all united by a sacred fury that makes them as dangerous as they are convinced of being able to succeed in their intentions because of the endless means at their disposal. In reality, this religion is nothing more than a modern incarnation of the cult of Lucifer, the recent satanic performance at the Grammy Awards sponsored by Pfizer is only the latest confirmation of an adherence 
to an infernal world that until now had been silenced because it was still considered unmentionable. It is no mystery that the ideologies of the globalist thought are all indistinctly anti-Christian and anti-clerical, significantly hostile to the Christian morality, ostensibly opposed to the civilization and culture that the gospel has shaped in 2,000 years of history. Not only that, the inexquishable hatred towards life and towards all that is the work of the Creator. From man to nature reveals the attempt, almost successful, albeit delirious, to tamper with the order of creation, to modify plants and animals, to change the very human DNA through bioengineering interventions, to deprive man of his individuality and his free will, making him controllable and even maneuverable through transhumanism. At the bottom of all of this, there is the hatred of God, the envy for supernatural fate that he has reserved for men by redeeming them from sin with the sacrifice of the cross of his son. This satanic hatred is expressed in the determination to make it impossible for Christians to practice their religion, to see its principles respected, to be able to make their contribution in society and ultimately in the will to induce them to do evil, or at least to ensure they cannot do good, much less spread it. And if they do, to distort their original motivations, love of God and neighbor by perverting them with pitiful philanthropic and environmentalist purposes. All of the precepts of the globalist religion are a counterfeit version of the 10 commandments, their grotesque inversion and obscene rehearsal reversal. Let me read that again. All of the precepts of the globalist religion are a counterfeit version of the 10 commandments, their grotesque inversion and obscene reversal. In practice, they use the same means for the church uh, that the church has used for evangelization, jeez, but with the aim of damning souls and subjecting them not to the law of God, but to the tyranny of the devil under the inquestorial control of the anti-church of Satan. In this perspective, the American secret services are also reporting on groups of traditional Catholic faithful, confirming that the enmity between the seed of the woman and that of the serpent, Genesis 3.15, is the theological reality in which the enemies of God believe above all. And that one of the signs of the end times is precisely the abolition of the holy sacrifice and the presence of the abomination of desolation in the temple. Deuteronomy 9.27 The attempts to suppress or limit the traditional mass, unite, deep church, and deep state, revealing the essentially Luciferian matrix of both, because both know very well what we are infinite, what are the infinite graces that pour out on the church and on the world through that mass, and they want to prevent those graces from being given so they do not hinder their plans. They show it to us themselves. Our battle is not against the creatures. Our battle is not, the, not only against the creatures of flesh and blood, Ephesians 6.12. 
Tucker Carlson's observation highlights the deception to which we are subjected daily by our rulers. The theoretical imposition of the secularism of the state has served to eliminate the presence of the true God from the institutions, while the practical imposition of the globalist religion serves to introduce Satan into the institutions with the aim of establishing this dystopian new world order in which the Antichrist will claim to be worshipped as God. In his mad delirium to replace our Lord... The warnings of the book of Revelation take on an even greater concreteness. The more the plan proceeds to subject all men to a control that prevents any possibility of disobedience and resistance, only now do we understand what it means not to be able to buy or sell without the green pass, which is nothing if not the technological version of the mark with the number of the beast. Revelations in 13, 17. But if not for everyone is but if not everyone is yet ready to recognize the error of having abandoned Christ in the name of a corrupt and deceptive freedom that has hidden unspeakable intentions, I believe that today many are ready, psychologically, even before rationally, to take note of the coup d'etat which has with which a lobby of a dangerous fanatics is managing to take power in the United States and in the world, determined to make any move, even the most reckless in order to maintain it. Through a twist of providence, the secularism of the state, which in itself offends God because it denies him the public worship to which he is sovereign, could be the argument with which to put an end to a subversive project of the Great Reset. If Americans and with them the peoples of the whole world can rebel against this forced conversion, demanding that citizens, representatives, and positions of government be accountable for the holders of national sovereignty and not to the leaders of the globalist Sanhedrin, it will perhaps be possible to put a stop to this race towards the abyss. But to do so requires the awareness that this will be the only the first phase of a process of liberation from this infernal lobby, which must be followed by the reappropriation of those moral principles proper to Christianity that constitute the foundations of Western civilization and the most effective defense against the barbarism of neo-paganism. For too long, citizens and faithful have passively suffered the decisions of their political and religious leaders in the face of the evidence of their betrayal, respect for authorities based on the recognition of the theological fact, that is, of the lordship of Jesus Christ over individuals, nations, and the church. If those in authority in the state and church act against the citizens and the faithful, their power is usurped and their authority is null and void. Let us not forget that rulers are not the owners of the state and the masters of citizens, just as the Pope and the bishops are not the owners of the church and the masters of the faithful. If they do not want to be like fathers to us, if they do not want our good and indeed do everything to corrupt us in body and spirit, it is time to drive them out of their positions and call them to account for their betrayal, their crimes, and their scandalous lies. Archbishop Carlo Maria Vagano. Is that better, Jane?
a great man indeed. Please hit the, th the thumbs up button, the plus button, the red pill button. Uh, you liked today's show button. If you like it, if you don't hit the blue pill button, whatever, give a shit what you think. Anyway, JC bird, bitch, Toria, Karen hair, and who cares news with uh, 1470 gold pills today. Much love to you guys. Thank you all very much. Uh, what else do I have? I don't know. You guys want to hang out for a few more hours? Oh, uh, what else do I have? Do some more prayers. That sounds like a freaking good idea. Um, oh, that's a good one by Sidney Powell. Oh my God, Sidney Powell, like really, Abe? Such a shell. Fucking idiots. Easily manipulated morons was coined for a fucking reason, dude. All right, that's all of those. Um, let me see here. Hilton Honors, why? Whatever, dude. All right, there is, um, do me a favor. Pretty please. Please, please, please. Grab this link out of your favorite social media and do the thing. You know the thing? Drop it into your favorite social media and say, must read. Don't say must, must listen on that one. Say must read. Got to be a little more specific with the easily manipulated fucking morons in this world, apparently. Excuse me, Lord. All right. Um, how much time we got? 10 minutes? I don't know. I'm just going to go till I get it all done today. How a Texas lawsuit over proxy voting could nuke Biden's entire $1.7 trillion spending streak. Huh. I could have sworn like we, we highlighted this and now Margot Cleveland's highlighting this too. It's interesting. Margot Cleveland seems to have a really good legal mind. You guys notice that if you, if you listen, if you read her articles and you and you listen to what she says about things, she seems to have a really good, a really, really, really good uh, finger on the pulse of, of the legal system. Joe Biden's December 29th, my birthday, signaling of the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2023 was invalid because the House never actually passed the omnibus, omnibus spending bill the president purportedly signed in the law. At least that's what Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton claims in a little notice lawsuit last week. Yeah, little, unless you are out there and listening. If a court agrees the taxpayer-funded $1.7 trillion federal spending spree and every other aspect of that bill could be rendered void, that's a big if. You know how the legal system works. While the if in that sentence does some heavy lifting, <laughs> it is not because Paxson's lawsuit is weak on either the facts or the law. Of course, so is Carrie Lake's lawsuit, as we have discussed. On the contrary, his complaint in Paxton versus the Department of Justice makes a seemingly unassailable case that the House of Representatives lacked the constitutionally mandated quorum to pass the Appropriations Act. Nonetheless, the enormity of a court striking an omnibus spending bill may leave the judicial branch shrinking from its constitutional duty 
As Paxton's lawsuit explains, the appropriations bill began its life in the House Resolution 2617, which the bill lower chamber passed in September of 2021. The Senate passed a different version of the bill in November of 2022, and because the bills were not identical, the differences had to be reconciled and then approved by each body. Basic Senate House rules, isn't it? Basic quorum, little just basics here on how the country works. No, don't want to do that either. Are you sure? Are you sure you don't want to do basic quorum on how this country works? Answer that question very, very carefully. The Senate approved the House amendments to the bill on December 22nd, 2022. And the next day, members of the House met to consider the Senate's changes. Here's here's where the constitutional problem arose says Paxton's lawsuit. When the House met on December 23rd, 2022, the vote on the Consolidation Appropriations Act, it lacked quorum to conduct business. Only 201 of the House of Representatives were present. Nonetheless, the House proceeded with the vote, but it didn't just count the votes of the present members. It added to the tally an extra 226 votes cast by present House lawmakers on behalf of absent ones who had appointed them proxies. Huh. I don't remember if uh, if there's a, a thing in the legal system for proxies. Pretty sure, though. Basic law, I don't think so. While the votes of those physically present totaled 88 yeas and 113 nays. The House clerk recorded that the bill passed by a margin of 225 yay and 201 nay and one present, relying on a rule originally adopted in the May of 2020 that allowed members to designate another member as proxy and cast the vote of a designation member if a public health emergency to a novel coronavirus is in effect. Is that why you're keeping the public health emergency active? (laughs) moves and counter moves Biden would later sign the consolidation consolidated appropriations act on December 29th, my birthday, purporting it made the law purporting to make it law and providing appropriations for the fiscal year ending at the end of this coming September. However, because the house proxy rule violates the quorum clause of the constitution, the consolidated appropriations act never became law. According to Paxton's complaint, As Constitution's Article 1 Quorum Clause states, each house shall be the judge of the elections, returns, and qualifications of its own members, and a majority of each shall constitute a quorum to do business. But a smaller number may adjourn from day to day and may be authorized to compel the attendance of absent members. In such manner and under the penalties, each house may provide. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? The quorum's text, the quorum's clauses text, the structure of the constitution and the longstanding and until three years ago, unbroken practice of Congress to conduct its business in person collectively reinforced that the constitution forbids proxy voting. The attorney general alleges in the complaint Then over the course of multiple pages, Paxton provides a detailed analysis that overwhelming supports that conclusion. 
It would make little sense for the Constitution to expressly say that if a quorum were lacking, the House was authorized to compel the attendance of absent members. If proxy voting were allowed, Paxton first notes, Relatedly, the complaint highlights delegates at the Constitutional Convention rejected proposals that would have allowed representatives to vote by proxy. But only after James Madison added language giving Congress the power to compel absent members' attendance. The founders had also previously rejected proxy voting during debates over the Articles of Confederation, further illustrating that only those physically present could be counted for purposes of a quorum. Next, the lawsuit stresses how the Supreme Court has interpreted the Quorum Clause. It's held that in order to conduct congressional business, the Constitution requires a majority of members to actually and physically be present, unquote. This aligns with the meaning of a present at the founding, quote, not absent, face-to-face, being at hand, unquote. Paxton further bolsters his complaint with a rundown of other constitutional conditions, such as record-keeping requirements and impeachment rules in the Senate, indicating the need for a physical presence. Well, well, well. Based on the centuries of historical precedent, including even during various national emergencies, Paxton says there's only one conclusion. The quorum clause requires physical presence, period. During the yellow fever epidemic, Thomas Jefferson urged President Washington to keep Congress sitting in Philadelphia, then the Capitol, even if it meant meeting in open fields. In the aftermath of that epidemic, the third Congress enacted a law still in force today, stating that whenever Congress is about to convene and from the prevalence of contagious sickness or an existence of other circumstances, it would, in the opinion of the president, be hazardous to the lives or health of members to meet at the seat of government, the president could convene Congress at such other place as he may judge proper. (laughs) Are you out there? Are you listening? There would be no reason to meet in open fields or to convene Congress at such other place as he may judge proper if the House and Senate could instead opt for a proxy voting without the attendance of the elected officials. As Texas law stresses, though only through the Civil War, the Spanish flu pandemic, the Cold War, and the 9-11 terrorist attacks, Congress met in person while preparing to conduct business in the event of extraordinary circumstances such as in a secret congressional bunker hidden in West Virginia, in the case of a nuclear attack on the Capitol. This long-settled and established practice, Texas maintains confirms that the Constitution requires the physical presence of the elected lawmakers for a quorum to be achieved. Thus, with only 201 members present in the House on December 23rd, 2022, the legislative body lacked quorum. Under the Constitution, the House had only two options, Paxton argues, adjourn from day to day or compel the attendance of the absent members and passing the Consolidated Appropriations Act, was not one of those options. From an originalist perspective, Paxton's complaint makes an unassailable case, yet little notice has been paid to the lawsuit, likely because the D.C. Circuit Court has previously rejected then-House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy's challenge to the Pelosi proxy voting rule. The Supreme Court would later refuse to take up McCarthy's appeal. 
While in McCarthy versus Pelosi, the Republican leader had also challenged the proxy voting rule under the quorum clause. That decision has no bearing on Paxton's lawsuit because the courts never reached the merits of the constitutional arguments. Rather, a federal trial court dismissed McCarthy's lawsuit after concluding the Constitution's speech or debate clause gave Pelosi and the other defendants immunity from the suit. And the D.C. Circuit Court, being the scum they are, they affirmed it. The speech or debate clause of the Constitution provides the senators and representatives for any speech or debate in either house shall not be questioned in any other place. The Supreme Court has long held the clauses that the clause protects more than mere speech and debate, extending the protection to all legislative acts. And the D.C. Circuit Court held that adoption of the proxy rule and voting under that rule constitutes legislative acts for which House members and their staff are immune from the suit. But Paxton is not suing House leaders. He's suing Biden, the U.S. Attorney General, the Department of Justice, and various agencies and bureaucrats responsible for enforcing portions of the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2023 that harm Texas. For that reason, the D.C. Circuit of Court of Appeals decision letting the proxy rule stand has no force of precedent over Paxton's lawsuit. Paxton's complaint also presents a strong case that it has standing or the right to sue, something that defendants in McCarthy versus Pelosi had argued McCarthy lacked. So ridiculous. Supreme Court needs to fix that ASAP too. In Texas's case, Paxton highlights two specific provisions of the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2023. He claims injecture, injure, excuse me, he claims injure the state, injure the state, thereby establishing Texas's standing, and indeed, it does. First, the Consolidated Appropriations Act expanded Title VII's anti-discrimination provisions to require employers, including Texas, to provide reasonable accommodations and limitations related to pregnancy, childbirth, or related medical conditions of qualified employee unless doing so would impose an undue hardship on the operation of the business. While Texas accommodates the reasonable needs of its pregnant employees as a matter of course, the Attorney General argues that the Pregnant Workers Fairness Act shoehorned into the omnibus bill injures the state by subjecting it to the cost, hassles, and attendant risks of administering proceedings, investigations, and lawsuits if anyone considers the state's demand unreasonable. Second, the appropriations bill allocated $20 million to fund nonprofits and local governments for the purpose of connecting illegal aliens released by Immigration and Customs Enforcement with various social services and legal services. This program... Texas maintains encourages illegal aliens to seek additional spending from states and those additional monetary costs injure Texas. Indeed they do. While Paxton's complaint uh, complaint focuses on only two portions of the consolidated appropriations act, the Lone Star state's constitutional challenge is successful would render the entire law null with such an enormous consequence resting on the outcome of the case. The courts may be hesitant to intervene but the Constitution is the Constitution, is the solution. Whether the questions that arise deal with the free exercise of religion, freedom of speech, or the right to keep and bear arms, or more mundane matters such as quorum clause. 
Whether the courts will see it that way, however, remains to be seen with District Court Judge James Hendricks, a Trump appointee who was first nominated by Barack Obama, put to his first test. Judge James Hendricks, you can hear Jamie Hendricks, but are you listening? Margot Cleveland explaining why I have brought to you this case as something very closely to watch, considering everything else we've covered today. Y'all picking up what I'm putting down out there today? I love y'all. I thank you all for being here today. It's a little bit past six. If you got to bust out, I understand. Um, I got a few more things I want to cover here real quick and checking on some breaking and just see in general what's going on out there. Caleb, great to see you out there. Hunter Deb, great to see you. Roger that. Sausage Launcher, you picking up what I'm putting down? Renai, great to see you. Nana knows, God bless you. Yeah, Archbishop Vagano. <laughs> I'll just read all of his from now on. How's that sound? I think I've, I think I've read most of them already. If I don't think I've missed anyone except for the last one before this, maybe. I think we covered it, though. Uh, blessings out to the people of Ohio. May they have all their needs taken care of. Hey, KM. You guys hanging out there still? All right. Um, what else did I have here? Let's see. Documents reveal Oxford University addicted to Sackler family's drug money. Remember the whole Sackler family dig? All of a sudden, this dude and his wife showed up dead. And all of us did a huge dig on it, and we found that they uh, they are the reason why there is an opioid ep epidemic in the United States of America that has turned into a fentanyl epidemic that has been brought into America by these same globalists who are trying to destroy America and you and me. All of these pills that you're taking have, have things in them that you don't know what's in them. And I hope you wean yourself off immediately. Documents obtained by the Financial Times, including letters, bank statements, and event attendee lists, show Oxford has yet to sever ties with the Sacklers, despite their their company, Purdue Pharma, reaching a deal with the United States in a bankruptcy court to funnel billions of dollars for addiction treatment programs. Guess what they're doing in those addiction treatment programs? They're not weaning you off of the drug. They are keeping you dependent on it. Recall Purdue was the maker of the prescription painkiller OxyContin. Pharmaceutical company downplayed the drug's addictive qualities that enriched the Sacklers family by billions of dollars, but the cost was at an expensive to blue-collar workers who became addicted to the drug and helped spark the opioid epidemic. F estimates show that more than half of a million of Americans have died from opioid over overdoses since 1999. And it's way more than that when it comes to adding fentanyl to the discussion. Healthy people are harder to push around. It's we found we found uh, we, there's been a little study done, and uh, it's been determined that um, natural immunity is the thing. Dear patriots, at the start of the COVID CCP hysteria, we ask all of you to take charge of your health and become as healthy as possible. We know that healthy people are harder to push around. 
We continue to urge you to do your own research to make the changes to have a strong immunity and strong bodies and minds. There have been a lot of new information and research about COVID CCP and the injections, and there is still a lot of lying about it. Pfizer knew about the adverse effects of their injection before they forced it on everyone. In the past, this number of adverse effects would have gotten an injection pulled. That Pfizer and the government continue to push this is criminal. 542 neurological adverse events, events, 95 of them are serious. In the first 90 days of the Pfizer mRNA vaccine rollout, 16 deaths. Females suffered AEs more than twice as often as males. That's aneurysms? Or is that, oh, that's uh, heart uh, attacks. 16 deaths. Females suffer more um, arterial, what's the uh, medical term for AE? Somebody. Um, Atrial, uh, you know what I'm saying, a heart attack, all right? The War Room Daily Cloud Pfizer Documents Analysis pro- Project Post-Marketing Group Team 1, Barbara Garrett, Joseph Garrett, Doctors All, Chris Flowers, Dr. Lori Britt, produced an alarming review of the Neurological System Organ Class, SOC, adverse events found in Pfizer document 5.3.6, cumulative analysis of post-authorization adverse events reports, PF-0730248, in parentheses, BNT162B2. This SOC includes altered function of the brain and the spinal cord or peripheral nerves. It is important to note that adverse events, uh, oh, adverse events are AEs. Jeez, hold on, McFly. In this 5.36 document, were reported to Pfizer for only a 90-day period from December 1st, 2020 to the date of the United Kingdom's public rollout of the COVID-19 experimental mRNA vaccine product. Key points of this report include... 542 neurological events, 95 which were serious, occurred in 501 patients. 16 of those patients died. 50% of events occurred within the first 24 hours after injection, equating to over 270 events in a single day. 69% of the neurological events affected females, and 31% occurred in males. 376 seizures were reported, 12 of which were status epilepticus, a rare condition of prolonged seizure or series of seizures that is life-threatening. 38 cases of multiple sclerosis, 11 cases of transverse myelitis, a destructive inflammation of the spinal cord, 10 cases of optic neuritis, inflammation of the optic nerve threatening blindness, 24 cases of Guillain-Barr syndrome, ascending paralysis from nerve inflammation. Great. Three cases of meningitis, uh, infection from an inflammation of the fluid and membrane surrounding the brain and spinal cord. Seven cases of encephaloapathy, any disease of the brain that alters brain function or structure. Hallmark is altered mental state. The only adverse effects that occurred two or more times are specifically reported in the diagnoses list. There were 20 events that happened once and thus were not included. Two, the the unaccountable lying by people in government positions is stunning. There does not seem to be any shame. Our elected representatives listen to all the lies and nothing happens. Americans are understandably frustrated. Brown Student Institute, Wacha Walensky's terrible testimony as the quote. I didn't even want to hear that again. After three years, number three, after three years of hammering Americans to get jabs, the Lancet finally tell us what we all instinctively knew. 
When you recover from having COVID CCP, your immunity is stronger and lasts longer than anything you might get from injections. Finally, the Lancet acknowledges natural immunity superior to mRNA COVID vaccines. We've covered that. Number four, no one, least of all college-age students, should be getting any more injections. Universities that still mandate booster injections should be shunned immediately. Why are colleges still mandating COVID vaccines for students? One of the most outrageous college mandates can be found at the SUNY campuses. Shockingly, it only applies to students. Older, more vulnerable faculty and staff are not required to take the vaccines, making it one of the most egregious and legally questionable mandates still standing. Number five, Dr. Malone offers information on a supplement that has proven to help many conditions. Of course, it is natural and big drug will make no money, so you probably have not heard of it. We are not recommending Dr. Malone's procedures to or his uh, supplement information to you, but we are offering information so that you can help make your own decisions. We are offering this as an example of how big drug denies us helpful medicine because they do not profit from them. Read more about, about berberine at the link on Robert W. Malone's substack, the well-being berberine. Well, at Brown Student Institute retreat near Hartford this weekend, I heard that Dr. Paul Merrick speak on the repurpose uh, on repurposed drugs. Of course, this has been one of my passions since the Ebola outbreak of 2014, with the realization that a safe and effective vaccine could not be developed fast enough for, for any newly emergent, highly effective disease or infectious bio-threat event. Unfortunately, there is no interest in repurposed drugs by our government or pharma for other disease indications such as cancer. This despite the fact that computerized modeling, which is very sophisticated, suggests that there are many drugs for which the already licensed drug safety profile is well known that would work well for varying type of cancers. Again, no profit motive, no interest, no research dollars or support. So it's another dead end. One of the key examples used by Dr. Merrick's lecture at the Brownstone Retreat was the compound berberine. Berberine is derived from plants. It is considered a Neutroceutical, neutroceutical, neutroceutical. As a consequence, there are few randomized clinical trials that, and little farmer or government interest in the drug, probably because it's no profit motive to play here. Hence, most of us have never heard of it. One of Dr. Merrick's, Merrick's uh, main points was that berberine appears to be one of the most powerful tools to regulate insulin. And yet... Because there is no profit in promoting this product, there is almost no publicly or significant research into its clinical benefits. Traditional medicines uh, use many plants that are true miracles provided to us by nature. Berberine is found in many plants throughout the world and has been used as an essential medicine globally for more than 3,000 years. Traditionally, its uses have varied greatly in, to include treating infections, sores, and antimicrobial for various kinds of gastrointestinal inflammation. Many of you may be interested in this conference focusing on CCP COVID litigation. As more injuries uh, and death come to light, it is, it is expected that there will be a massive number of lawsuits brought against companies, universities, hospitals, and government agencies who forced injection mandates. 
COVID Litigation Conference is going to be held on March 25th and Sunday, March 26th at the Starling Atlanta Midtown Hilton in Atlanta, Georgia. Well, well, well. That should be interesting. Should it not? Get healthy. Pray. Read. Share. Hold fast. Defending the Republic. <clears throat> Cue. Please, 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 please share that article with somebody who is concerned. Ask them, do your own research. I've done it. And if you want more information that could really, 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 really help you, please ask me in any form and I will help in any way I can. Representative Majority Taylor Green calls for a national divorce along political lines. We're done. This divine music will get you in the spirit, in the Lenten spirit, excuse me, as Lent has started today. And recommendation for chat, from chat. What should I do for Lent? No wrong answers allowed. What do you honestly believe that I should do for Lent?
God's timing. Release of a new Jesus Revolution film happening as Ashbury Revival wraps up. This week, um, just in time for the release of the movie The Jesus Revolution, the film hits theaters nationwide on Friday, starring Kelsey Grammer as California pastor Chuck Smith, one of the leaders during the Jesus movement of the late 60s and 70s that saw hundreds of thousands, perhaps millions, come to faith. Jonathan Rumi plays hippie preacher Lonnie Frisbee in the movie. The actor is best known for the portrayal of Jesus in the popular online series The Chosen. Actress Kimberly Williams Paisley, father of the bride, is Charlene McDaniel, mother of Greg Laurie, struggling teen who comes to faith through Frisbee's preachings. The Jesus movement was an awakening. Not only was it the last great American awakening, I think it might, be, it might have been the most significant of all, said Laurie, who was the pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Southern California. story of finding yourself, finding your way, finding faith. I just think it's going to be so uplifting. There's comedy, there's tenderness, there's complexity with all of the characters. The production value is incredible. It feels like we've just been dropped into a moment in history. Audiences are going to get a strong message of love and hope. I hope people feel tearful and joyful all at the same time and maybe inspired to rediscover their own faith. It's been seven years to the screen for this movie and every other movie that we've made along the way, Woodlawn, I can only imagine, I still believe, American Underdog, it's all been leading to this. I remember discovering the Jesus Revolution Time Magazine cover story, and it was like unearthing this gem, and that led to this whole exploration I want to meet people that lived this. Come to find out Greg was a teenager, as was his wife Kathy, at the very origin of the Jesus Movement in Southern California. The Jesus Movement was an awakening. Not only was it the last great American awakening, I think it may have been the most significant of all. It's this beautiful fusion of Greg's coming of age story, this hippie street preacher, Lonnie Frisbee, and a down and out pastor who's pretty much lost everything. And to see him open up his doors to these hippies, that completely changed everything. I think so many of us that were drawn into the hippie movement really were searching for something more. Greg Laurie at the time is the lost soul. He's looking for truth, and he finds it in all the wrong places and in one right place. Have you decided? Uh, um, I, uh, I don't know. You want to decide right now? One of the things that excited me most about the script was the theme. The theme is loving the other. I think that's what our world needs. I think our world really needs to heal. I think it'll challenge people. I just want to make sure we define love, apparently. People's notions of the need to be perfect to be a Christian. I want audiences to be encouraged. If they leave the theater feeling encouraged and inspired, then we've done our job. Our country and the world is prime for another revival. I am praying that this movie will bring 
hope to a generation. I think you're gonna see something on the screen you've not seen before. This story changed our nation and in many ways changed the world. You feel swept up into this movement. If a Jesus revolution happened before, it can happen again. Why can't the next Jesus revolution begin right now? Know that if God can heal me, he can heal anyone. If you look a little deeper, if you look with love, you'll see an entire generation searching for all the right things, just in all the wrong places. We can only walk through doors open to us. In your church, that's a door that's shut. So I ask you, Pastor, what would it take for you to be desperate? Seems the movement's everywhere. It's spreading like wildfire. Let's see what God has in mind. And with that, I want to say much love and God bless you all. I need you all to um, alert True Social. I will keep you guys as informed as I can about future events on there. Um, maybe needing to take some, some little bit of time here. Um, please keep the prayers and blessings coming to keep me afloat and keep me in your thoughts and prayers. I will definitely check in whenever I just at this second here, I just want to let you guys know, just keep an eye on my true social and, um, all future comms through future, through uh, True Social. And with that, I want to say much love and God bless you all. We'll see you guys back here, hoping for tomorrow. Do some praying tonight and, and some, some more praying and some more praying. And you all just please keep those prayers coming. And you, you also remember that it's not just me who's had to, you know, all of you out there that feel it, the pain too. I hope you feel the other side of it. And I hope you find healing. And I hope, I pray and I hope you find God. impossible as nothing more than motivation. Relish the opportunity to be an outsider. Embrace that label. Being an outsider is fine. Embrace the label because it's the outsiders who change the world and who make a real and lasting difference.